Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the program this week, Super Rugby Final Fever hits Hamilton. The Breakers star import announces he's leaving. We look ahead to the 2015 Cricket World Cup and look at the rise of New Zealand swimmer Lauren Boyle on the international stage. The Chiefs' bid to win back-to-back Super Rugby titles will come to a head in Hamilton on Saturday night as they take on the Brumbies in this year's final. With home advantage and the Brumbies forced to travel to New Zealand from Pretoria after last week's win over the Bulls, the Chiefs find themselves heavily favoured to lift the trophy for a second time. Waikato Stadium, with its 25,000 seat capacity, is a sellout. Our Waikato reporter, Andrew McRae, reports. 13,000 tickets went on sale to the public on Wednesday morning and were sold out within hours. The chief executive of the Chiefs franchise, Gary Dawson, says the fan support reflects just how good the team is. The key reason is the uh, the coaches and the players that we've got. Uh, Dave Rennie and his coaching team are just world class. There's no doubt about that. They put in a huge amount of work and um, they've got a great bunch of players around them who they've done exceptional things with. The Chiefs coach Dave Rennie says the Brumbies can't be underestimated, describing their win against the Bulls last weekend as sharp. The Brumbies are smart. You know, they they want to play territory, but they uh, are pretty lethal when they get down your end of the field and it's all out of attack from there. So they've got a lot of firepower in amongst that back group. So, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of challenges here. Liam Messam is co-captain of the Chiefs. Uh, I missed a bit on Saturday, but uh, you know, same with the Brumbies, to go over there to Loftus and do what they've done is, is pretty impressive. So we know we're going to be up for a, for a massive challenge to, to get that title. And uh, I think they, they lead the stats in, in a lot of areas of, of football, so uh, it's going to be a difficult challenge for us. But uh, if we can get our, our week right and, and have that mindset to, to go out there and really attack to win that competition, then uh, you know, the boys will be in a good stead. Brumbies player Clyde Rathbone is one of only two still in the team that won the 2004 final. He rates the Chiefs highly. An outstanding side across the board. You know, they're defending champions. Um, they're outstanding attacking and defensive side, very hard in the breakdown. Got a very intelligent 9-10 combination. So there's no obvious weakness. I think to get a win, you just have to play well for 80 minutes. And you have to do all the simple things well. Um, and you have to dominate you know, all the collisions. Is this going to be an absolute test match environment, I'm sure. The fans are in no doubt just who will take out the Super 15 final and they don't think it will be the Brumbies. I think the travelling will be too much for the Brumbies. I don't know, they just always seem to play really well together as a team, you know. They really portray a team image, so it's cool. Expecting the uh, Chiefs just to be too much for the Brumbies. They've got a good team spirit, play hard together as a team and yeah, they make the most of the talent that they have in, in the spots that they need it. I would say 26-15. Team spirit, coaching people, and it's a home game, I guess, yeah. I think they've just got a really solid defence. I mean, um, old Cruden kicking the goals is, keeps them on top. Cool. Oh, the 30 to 16. I was only able to find one person brave enough to support the other side. I actually think the Brumbies are one. Hey. But I'm not allowed to say that. The family is very strong, chief supporters. Born and bred in the Waikato, I am. 
So why are you thinking the Brumbies might? I think they're a very good team. If they can beat the Bulls after travelling to South Africa, they'll give the Chiefs a pretty good go. Gary Dawson says regardless of which team takes the title, the local economy wins either way by hosting the final. It's huge. Um, you know, just the number of people from outside that are coming in, staying in motels, going to bars and restaurants and so on. Uh, a lot of people are coming over from Australia. So for the local economy, this is a massive event. Conditions at Waikato Stadium tomorrow are likely to be wet if the forecast is anything to go by. That's Andrew McRae reporting. The Chiefs have named an unchanged lineup for the match. Stephen Hewson spoke to the coach Dave Rennie and asked if he'd been tempted to make changes. We did because there's you've got some very good players on the bench and and Sam Kane and Ben Afiaki who both played for the All Blacks this year and Bundy Aki's played a lot of games for us. Robbie Robinson and you know we've got a pretty good bench we think and they'll be important. I suppose though, given the result of last weekend, you would have felt the right thing to do was to give those guys a chance again. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of big performers in the weekend and we're certainly right with the attitude and we need to make sure we bring that sort of intensity again this week. And I think we had the mix right as well. You know, like I said, those guys coming off the bench with sort of 30 to go or 40 to go were massive for us. You'd hope for a better first-half effort, though, this time around. Yeah, we went to upset at half-time. We lost five line-outs. We lost one scrum and that was pretty key. Which means we couldn't get our game going, but we did find a lot of space against them early and, and we did defend pretty well considering we played without the ball a lot. So, yeah, we were pretty buoyed up at half time knowing that if we could get our set piece going and maybe we could apply a bit of pressure. And in the end, we took our opportunities and we defended well when we needed to. Do you approach the, the Brumbies in the same way as the Crusaders? I mean, are they the Australian version of the Crusaders? No, they play completely different. So, uh, Brumbies will kick a lot from their defensive end. They'll certainly kick a lot of contestables. They'll, they'll try to strangle you down your end of the field, whereas the Crusaders this year have moved a lot of pill from their end. So, yeah, that sort of risk-free philosophy of theirs has worked well for them, and we're well aware of the risks and the strengths that they pose against us. And But we've had a decent look at them, and we've got some plans around it. It just comes down to whether we're good enough. What have you focused on in particular this week? A fair bit around our set-piece, a fair bit around our defence and our aerial ability to... Uh, diffuse the, the kicking game and so on. And Do you look, as a coach, to introduce anything different that might then look to upset the, the Brumbies, or is it a case of building on what, what you've already done? Is, is there's now not the time to actually introduce anything new? You do a lot of work early in the season, and then we pull out whatever we think is going to be applicable to play a certain team, and so there's different areas to attack against the Brumbies than there are against the Crusaders, so we'll utilise different structures and so on and I guess our challenge is to be good enough to put that on the field but it's always a little different depending on who you're playing. Those structures, if you and Wayne Smith sort of sat down and worked those out earlier on in the season, I mean is that a part of the game you enjoy working on or is it an emphasis that Wayne Smith works on or is it I imagine a reasonably consultative sort of process? Yeah, and it's not just Smithy and I, it's Tom and Straws as well so I mean we've all coached for a lot of years and we got philosophies in various areas and we sit around we talk a lot around uh, the type of game we want to play and we play a, a competition where it's incredibly hot at the start of a competition and you end up going into the middle of the winter where or rain and difficult conditions and so you need to play different types of games in different conditions and, and for different oppositions so we're all, all involved in that process. Do, do you see your coaching strengths in that side of things or is it in man management or overall where, where, where do you think your particular strengths lie oh 
God knows. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I really enjoy the analytical side of the game and it's a strength of all our coaches and we, we look for opportunities to attack them and areas where we need to be strong defensively to perhaps get turnovers and create opportunities. So, oh, I think it's a part of part of the game you've got to, you've got to enjoy and certainly I, I enjoy that part of the game. The whole travel factor's obviously been, been talked about a bit. Um, you're still playing that down, discounting that from the Brumbies' point of view? Yeah, we talked about about it with our boys. And if we were in issues and we were in Africa and we had to travel all the way back to New Zealand to play a final, we'd back ourselves to get our rights to um, ensure that we could pull out, you know, one big 80-minute performance to finish the season. So, you know, we're kidding ourselves if we think that that's going to play a big part. And, you know, we need to make sure that we have the same sort of intensity and energy that we had last week against the Crusaders and you got to do it for 80 minutes. So... They're a quality side, they're very well coached and we'll finish second if you think it's going to be any easier than it was last week. Have you felt different, or your approach, I mean, as coaching the side when you're the defending champions, I mean, I know coaches talk about, oh, we start all over again, etc. but is there a difference or do you feel a difference when you are the reigning champions or when it comes to putting successive titles together? Um, you know, look, I think... Even though we might have won it last year, I don't think many people expect us to win it again. And so all year, I've talked about all these other sides. And and so it's probably not the same sort of pressure. It's not like you're a defending champion and a hot favourite to win it. And even as you look at last week, we're playing at home. We were number one seeds. And, and yet we were a rank outsider to win that game. So the Brumbies were the same and, and lost us. So it's, in the end, I don't think there's been a lot of pressure from that point of view. And so, you know, it certainly, certainly hasn't weighed us there. It's allowed us to work pretty hard and continue to have belief within these walls. You come away with two titles on the trot, though. It'd be hard to put it down as a, a side not to be contended with come 2014. Yeah, I guess that remains to be seen. You know, Crusaders are a fantastic side, and, gee, they, they were playing great footy. And, you know, as I say, we managed to score points when they are on offer and uh, and hold them out through a bit of desperation. So, yeah, it's never easy being part of this New Zealand conference. And, you know, yeah. Crusaders will play them six times in two years. So I think you start again, fresh again next year. And, you know, you look at the, the rosters, the Highlanders look like they'll be reasonably strong next year. And as well, the Hurricanes and so on. So it's, there's no easy games in this competition. And, you know, we'll, we'll worry about that um, after next week. The Chiefs coach Dave Rennie speaking to Stephen Hewson. The Breakers have suffered a blow ahead of the Australian National Basketball League season, with the star import Cedric Jackson announcing he won't return to help them chase an unprecedented fourth straight title. Jackson was an integral part of the last two championships and was named as the league MVP for last season. I spoke to the coach Dean Vickerman and asked if he was surprised the American guard wasn't coming back. No, not a huge shock. Um, you know, we left it at a place at the end of the season where um, we would wait till after the summer league was finished, um, and then he said he would uh, put our offer against European offers, and um, and we would go from there. So. Yeah, we both did our part in the, in the recruiting process and it just came down to that uh, the European offer was probably double uh, you know, what we were able to offer. Do you know exactly uh, where the offers come from in Europe or are you not aware of that? Yeah, he hasn't actually signed somewhere, but there was certainly interest from uh, Slovenia. Um, is certainly one team that's definitely talking to him. Right, so he he's still to make a decision exactly where he's going to go? 
Yeah, that'll be it'll probably happen in the next couple of days. But yeah, there's a couple of good offers on the table. So uh, even even though it was something that you probably saw coming, it's still a bit of a blow to have it um, have it confirmed. I guess a player of his quality. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a uh, it's uh, disappointing for obviously you know Breakers fans who loved him and, and got to see such a you know a fringe NBA uh, player play in this country. Um, you know, it's disappointing for the league as well. But we understand where we sit. You know, we, we've got a million dollar salary cap, and um, you know we're always going to have uh, the best players um, have better opportunities or opportunities to make more money in Europe. Just on Cedric's uh, legacy, where, where do you sort of see him among imports that have played in the NBL? He must be right up there in terms of the quality. Yeah, the ones that I think of, you know, that, that played at his position, um, you know, Daryl McDonald, uh, Darnell Mee, uh, Ricky Grace, um, you know, although he didn't play for the, the period of time that those guys played for, um, I think he'll go down as you know, a very similar talent level uh, to those players. And also one thing that was sort of noticeable about uh, Cedric compared to some other imports that may have played at the Breakers was that he seemed like he really wanted to be there and was actually v- very committed to what the Breakers were doing and quite loyal. Yeah, he was, a, he was just a perfect fit for our team. Um, and, you know, the best imports that have, have played in the in the Australian NBL have you know, the quality is that they make everybody else around them better first, and that's why you bring imports uh, into your team. And But Cedric also had uh, the ability to win basketball games with his defence. You you must have uh, prepared contingencies with expecting this to happen, and you've got that import spot uh, left open. So there, there's a few options of guys you can bring in there? Yeah, definitely. You know, we're probably looking for a player with a, you know, with some pro experience. Um, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a team to to have a crack at winning four in a row. It's just never been done before, um, and so to to limit our risk a little, we'll we'll look for a player that has some good pro experience before. So, where are you mainly looking? Is that US or Europe or a bit of both? Yeah, most of the players that you know played in Europe. Um, uh, back in the, in the states right now, and, uh, and some of them are making decisions about going to veterans camp uh, in the NBA or to to, to go to Europe. And um, you know, we want to be in the mix of um, having presenting a good opportunity for a player uh, who might not have an opportunity in the NBA. So, have you sort of had scouts over there looking at a summer league and that sort of thing? Yeah, we have a we have a, a scout that's. Um, you know, connected to the Breakers, and uh, he was at all the summer league competitions, and um, you know, looked at the college players and looked at the players coming back from Europe. So he has a, a very good uh, knowledge of, of who's available and what price bracket they're in. How long do you think it will be until you um, fill that last spot? We want our, the player here by the end of the month. So um, you know, to do that, we, we probably need to, to lock someone down in the next couple of weeks. Right, so it'll happen quite quickly from here. Yeah. I guess that's why being prepared for this was uh, quite important and already having guys you can go to. Yeah, no, it's good to have our list. Um, and, you know, we get our coaching staff back together next week with, with Paulie and Ari uh, getting back from the Tall Blacks. And, um, you know, we can all sit around next week and, and uh, you know, really assess the talent and see who's the best fit for us. 
New Zealand will host a semi-final and a quarter-final in the 2015 Cricket World Cup, with seven cities across the country hosting matches. The venues and pools were announced this week, with the Black Caps grouped with England, Australia, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh in pool play. Auckland will host one semi-final, while Wellington will host a quarter-final. The other semi will be played in Sydney and the final in Melbourne. Christchurch is scheduled to host three pool games, including the tournament opener between New Zealand and Sri Lanka on February 14th, subject to the Environment Court approval for the redevelopment of Hagley Oval. At the tournament launch in Wellington, the head of the New Zealand arm of the Cricket World Cup tournament, Therese Walsh, spoke to Stephen Hewson about the allocation process. What happens in New Zealand is that, you know, we are a small country and I think we do work together quite well. So I think, you know, as people between the different cities spoke, I think it became sort of clear that certain matches were better positioned in certain venues and it sort of almost became something that was almost informally agreed. You know, the semi-final works in Auckland. A quarter-final in Wellington feels great and to open the, the tournament in Christchurch would obviously be outstanding. So, you know, it just it flowed well. How much horse trading? Went, went on because there, there always is in, in these situations. <laughs> yeah, look, there's lots of horse trading, but it wasn't wasn't just sort of Australia New Zealand horse trading. It was it was just general you know horse trading between venues, cities, you know, just trying to get the right mix. And you know, we did have days with yellow stickies on the wall where I said, well, you know, that one's not going there, and and, and, and other people did the same thing. And um, but we worked as a team and we got there, and it was a pretty polite process, I would have to say. You know, I think we 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 all could see the big picture. Hagley Oval is subject to the Environment yep. Court decision. What is the alternative if that doesn't come through? Well, look, we've got a contingency plan for Christchurch. If Hagley Oval redevelopment doesn't um, move forward, I'm not going to discuss that publicly. We've actually got a contingency plan for every venue in the tournament because, as we learnt with Rugby World Cup, things happen and you can't plan the world two years in advance. Um, things will happen. So, you know, we've got contingency plans firmly in place, but no, I don't want to discuss them because I want the focus to stay on Christchurch where those games belong. Under the contingency plan, would Christchurch or the Canberra region still get the host of those games? Look, I think we need to wait, you know, if that scenario is to arise. We'd get together with Christchurch um, City Council, Christchurch Canterbury Cricket, and we would, with the ICC and the rest of our colleagues, and we would discuss that at the time and see how that might feed into a contingency plan. How much nervousness is there as you await that decision? Look, not a lot. I mean, the reality is, it's you know, the Environment Court has to go through its process. If the outcome is that, that there's no Cricket World Cup in Christchurch, I'll obviously be very disappointed. You know, I think it's the right thing for it to be there, but at the end of the day, that, that will be that, and you've got to be pragmatic. Um, I mean, emotionally, my heart is in Christchurch. I have desperately wanted Cricket World Cup there. I went through the agony of, of the games being removed um, during Rugby World Cup, and, you know, that was extremely traumatising for everybody, but not as traumatising as what Christchurch was going through. So my heart is absolutely there in terms of making sure there are games in Christchurch, but there's a limit to what you can do, and you just need to let the process take its course. That must be difficult in a sense that you've sort of offered this for the people of Christchurch, and then there is that danger that it, it could be taken away again. Well, that's right. There, there are still hurdles for them to jump over, and and you know who knows what might happen. But you know, I'm very hopeful for a positive outcome, and I think that there comes a point in time where you have to announce something like this. You have to get it out there, and you know we couldn't really wait any longer. And the reality is that it's far better to just to just include them and give them the benefit of the doubt at this point, rather than to exclude them over something that may never happen. Even though the tournament's more than a year and a half away, former Black Caps captain Stephen Fleming believes the draw will suit New Zealand.
The team will be very happy. Um, New Zealand cricket fans will be very happy as well. They seem to have covered every base. Uh, there's some good emotional games that have been placed in Christchurch, for example. I think that's fantastic if we can go ahead. Uh, and sensible around the big games. Auckland, New Zealand against Australia straight away is a mouth-watering contest. And Nelson being introduced. So a lot of bases covered. And I think from a, a playing perspective, the, the team will be pretty happy with the draw on where they're playing. The, uh, the seedings here based on the end of 2012, how much of an impact does it really have? Well, I think it will have a impact. If you ever want to be thankful for being ranked ninth, so I look at that draw and say that's probably it. Uh, you look at Pakistan and West Indies who are a little bit unorthodox with their spinners and the way they play. Uh, to avoid them until later on, I think it's an advantage. England and Australia, we know what they do. We've beaten them uh, quite recently. And Sri Lanka and New Zealand conditions, they're, they're sort of the main teams. And I'd, I'd feel pretty comfortable that we'll not just compete, but uh, hopefully get through that corner final stage, which once again is the, the stadium, which should have an advantage for us. Things have obviously got a fair way to go between yeah. now and then. I mean, general thoughts on the way that, that side is shaping up. I mean, what would you expect it? Would it be the makeup be pretty similar by the time they get round to that, do you think? I mean, oh, if they, thoughts? Yeah, if they can, it would be great. They, they made no secret that this was their goal, uh, what, about 18 months ago. The blueprint has been about the shorter form of the game, and that's been reflected in performances. Uh, so you'd imagine now, with oh, just over 12 months to go, that if they can keep the nucleus of these players together, they're building into quite a nice team. The thing that I like about it, they've got match winners within. They've got the Taylors and McCullums. A bowling unit uh, with Mitch Plenigan and, and Bolt and Southey. You're starting to get a team that can, uh, with their performances, win. One or two players can contribute and they win the game. We're not solely relying on that whole team performance, which New Zealand teams have had to rely on in the past. So, look, if a couple of our match winners can get red hot, uh, lift the rest of the other guys, and you get a nice cycle of form going, I, I think they'll build nicely and, and be very happy with the games that they have to play. Surprised, perhaps, even we, we got a semi final? I'm surprised the numbers of games we got. 21 to share, uh, 21 with Australia is uh, is a great result. The quality of the, the games as well. Then they're, they're not all qualifying games. So they're decent games. And the semi-final and quarter-final to maybe have the home side playing is a, is a great appetite or a great teaser. And uh, if it plays out the way the Rugby World Cup played out, then it'll be a it'll be a great World Cup. As a contemporary too, I mean, you must be pleased that Christchurch got the, the opening the opening game. Well, I think most of the country would be if we can uh, get a cricket ground back in the uh, in the Garden City. I, I think there's a, a lot of history there. Um, some good players, great players have come from there, not just um, in the early days, but as of late, Canterbury had a great side through that 90s, 2000. And it's just a shame that there's not high-profile cricket being played in, in the central city. If this is the catalyst to get across the line for, for the stadium to be built, then... It's going to be a great thing. So it's something now to work for. Uh, Christchurch is looking for events. This is a massive one. And uh, the onus really does go on the process to get the game, the ground green stamped. It was a big week for New Zealand swimming with Lauren Boyle winning the country's first world championship medal since Daniel Loder in 94. Boyle won bronze in the 400 metre and 1500 metre freestyle, bouncing back after a torrid time at Swimming New Zealand, which has seen a number of changes to the management and coaching structures. Stephen Hewson spoke to the former New Zealand coach Mark Bone, who is impressed with Boyle's performances. It's a huge achievement and it's a continuation of really good swimming by Lauren Boyle, you know, one year after the Olympic Games. And I think that's the significant thing is that she's continued to progress. 
uh, not only in, in a distance that she swims regularly, meaning the 800, but in other, the other two distances, 415, which are a little bit foreign to her, and not events that she swims a lot of. So I think that you know, it's a really significant move for Lauren Boyle, and it'll be massive for her own confidence. Even though she's a, such a tremendous swimmer, she actually has a demeanour of lacking a bit of confidence. A year after the, the London Olympics, is the timing significant? Does it mean things weren't quite right a year ago or simply some maturity? What's, what's happened there, do you think? A number of things. I think that, uh, I mean, a year after the Olympics is always a little bit of an unknown year because there's a number of retirements that always happen at the Olympic Games. There's a number of swimmers that may have performed incredibly well at the Olympic Games and then take a little bit of time out. And so, therefore, they bypass these uh, world championships or they're certainly not at their best form. So you have to take that into consideration. However, you're only as good as the field that's out there on the day, and you have to look at this 1500, and it was a world record swim by the winner. And you look at the times. I mean, she's knocked 30 seconds off her previous best over, over the past couple of days. I mean, how, how does someone do that? Well, it's interesting because the 1500 is not an a Olympic Games event for women. What, what is significant is that when they get a chance to do it, the true distance swimmers uh, will go out there and do it. Now, Lauren is really inexperienced in it. So how does a swimmer make those sort of improvements? I realise you, you mentioned the 1500 is not an Olympic uh, event for, for the women, but training-wise, I mean, is, are you aware of anything different that she's doing? Well, going into, going into first of all, the Olympic Games, uh, she had a... Uh, the high-performance coach from the Millennium Institute was Mark Reagan, and he changed her training into a purely endurance training. And he always, she always believed she was a 200, uh, 400 swimmer, and he said, no, the 800 is your distance, and that's what we're going to train towards. And he did a, a sterling job over those Olympic Games to get her ready for that. Uh, and and we, we saw the benefits of that where she finished fourth. To be achieving this, how many kilometres is she, she having to rack up each week? She's on an average of about 75 to 80 k's per week. That's significant, and I think that you have to look at the coaches that have been behind her. They are all purely distance-orientated coaches. She's also gone down the road of doing some altitude training, and I think altitude training is very much a cumulative thing. The more times you do it, the better the benefits that you get. Potentially, what, what do you think she's capable of? I'd love to see her do the 1500 again and just use that as her background to be able to race down. So you train up and you and then you do the 1500 to be able to ultimately race down to the 800 rather than going the other way, trying to look for a bit of speed through the 400 and race up to the 800. She will change a little bit as she goes through another couple of years of of not only uh, age development as well, but, but strength development. And I think that she'll focus a little bit more on speed and being able to get out there. But there's no doubting at the moment she's got back-end speed, the back part of the race, the second half of it, because that's where she's been able to hold up now. And, and no swimmer is rolling over the top of her, beating her in that last 100 metres. How far then do you think she might be off her off her peak if if we're sort of looking at swimmers age wise? Or? Yeah, you know it's a really interesting thing because often it's such a committed sport that we see them peak so early because it's it's head down looking at a black line for such a long long period of time and you can't have many weeks off at the end of each season you're back into it. So how much more can she improve? I think probably a couple more years we're going to see real big developments with her. And I suppose some wider 
confidence too in the squad. We've got Glenn Snyders and also Gareth Keane making making those finals. I mean, despite all the reactions that there have been in the sport, still some some good performances there. A couple of years ago, the sport was in absolute disarray, and and I'm the first to to put my hand up and criticise it as well. But I can hand on heart say that there's a number of things that I'm really, really confident about. And one is the board structure of Swimming New Zealand. They've got an incredibly talented and gifted board. They've got in the management side now, they've got a new CEO who's just got tremendous interpersonal skills. And I think that he's got a lot of vision with it. And then at the same time, you've got your your core base of the swimmers that have just really been through hell and back. But they've stuck in there and they've endured all of this. And now you've got also a new high-performance coach and a high-performance director. Those changes have all been incredibly positive and really good moves as well. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sport news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves and we'll be back with Extra Time next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.